turn, if you would, to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. That's like an assault on all the demonic powers and darkness out there, right? Like, like Jesus came to conquer. Jesus came as King and Lord and God. And we worship Him. And every Sunday we come up, right? We come to worship the King who announced all darkness, your day is coming. Your day is soon to be ended. And light of the world come. Amen? Right? Let's beat back some darkness today in prayer. All right? Let's come before the Lord and turn, if you would, to John chapter 1. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and we thank you for your grace and we thank you for your goodness and your love towards us. We so desperately need a visitation of your spirit. Lord, anytime the word of God is preached, it's the word and the spirit that go together. And we pray, God, that you would move on each of our hearts. Lord, we've come today, Lord, expecting to hear from you. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would move, that I would get out of the way, that the Spirit of God would come upon the Word of God, and that you would land like a, a missile that is infused with faith into our hearts and explode with a, with a trust in Jesus and a resolve to live for him in this world and and Lord, even if those who, who might be hearing, whether it's online or even here today, don't know Christ, if there's some who, who don't, that they would be brought awake to the reality that Jesus is Lord, that he died on the cross and he rose up out of the grave to announce to the world that salvation has come and the darkness can be dealt with by the light of the world. And so we just thank you, we praise you, we want to honor you today as we get into your word that we might taste and see the Lord is good. So we pray that you would help us now in Jesus' name, amen. So I was on Facebook a couple days ago, and many of you know, you know, Rick has been in the hospital for several weeks, and he fell off his horse, and it's just been a battle, um, and we've been going to bat on our knees for Rick and on Rick's behalf, and I saw him post on Facebook, life is short, and it was like a battle cry, you know, in one sense, it's like, it's like life's short, like I want to get busy about Jesus, I want to get busy and tasting and seeing the Lord is good, and there was something our brother was getting at there on Facebook, like clarity. I want to live for Jesus. Life is short, and I don't want to play any games. I want to live my life for Christ. And I hope that's just like kind of being conjured, and by the end of this message, that that would be worked into your heart. Because that's just the spirit of what I think John wants to do in chapter 1. It's just like wake us up to who Jesus is and help us to come and see. Come and see this glorious king. Come and see this glorious savior. And you're going to see it again and again throughout this passage. And we're really going to only deal with verses 43 um, to 51. Because I preached a whole sermon a while back on 35 to 42. But we're going to read it all together so we can get a, get, get a glimpse of this. Because these 
themes are threaded throughout. So look for the theme, come and see as, as I read, and then let's just launch into this study, okay? Verse 35, this is God's holy, inspired, inerrant, life-giving word. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. And it was about the 10th hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother, Simon, and he said to him, we found the Messiah, like we found him, which means the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, you're Simon, son of John, and you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And his life was transformed that day. Verse 43, the next day. Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And then Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree. Do you believe you will see greater things than these? You ain't seen nothing yet, Nathanael. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What a glorious passage of Scripture. And we're seeing in this text the passing of a baton, right? We were all about John the Baptist last week. He's the witness. He's the great not. He's the great witness declaring the great I am to the world. Saying, behold our God and behold the Son of God. And he says it a few times, right? And all of a sudden we see in verse 36, that, or verse 37, two disciples heard it. And they stopped following John. And they started following Jesus. And then Jesus invites these disciples to come and see what he's all about. 
Come and see what it's all been pointing to. Come and see the one who can transform. Come and see the one you've been waiting for. Christianity is an experiential religion. It's not just a bunch of facts and dates. It is history. But it's history breaking into our reality, producing an experience of God. Producing an experience of salvation. If it's just religious performance and religious sort of duties that we do, and there's no relationship, Jesus had words for that. He said, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. He was after a real relationship. He was, he was after bringing people to God. And he says all over the place, come and see. Now, John's gospel has been after this reality from the start to help us see who Jesus is, right? Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. You're like, I thought Christianity was about believing in Jesus. Well, it's also about seeing Jesus, because if you're seeing him for who he really is, you are believing. If you're seeing and savoring and acknowledging Jesus, you're being transformed by Jesus. That's why he invites people into this come and see sort of relationship. Jesus is basically saying like, hey, I'm the space where heaven comes down and converges with earth and and and. And God is with us. God tabernacles. You guys used to go to a, a tabernacle. You used to go to a temple to worship. You, go, you used to go to a place. I'm the new temple. I'm the new tabernacle. I'm the new place where heaven touches earth. And you want to know where the action's at. You come and see. Oh, that's, that's just glorious. And all over we're seeing invitations to come and see. J.C. Ryle, the great Anglican expositor, once said, Nathaniel owed his earliest acquaintance with Christ to that frank invitation, come and see. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? This little town? I thought, I thought the, the Messiah was supposed to come out of Bethlehem. I thought the Messiah was going to be this regal king. What's he doing coming out of Nazareth? Philip says, no, why don't you come and see? And that's a good word to us. Evangelism is part and parcel just saying to people, come and see. Come check it out for yourself. Come see who Jesus is. Come read his word. Come, come to, to, to church and check it out for yourself. And if you get touched by God, you know that Jesus is up in this place. If the spirit begins to draw you, and begins to call you and begins to say, yeah, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to your needs. I'm talking to your brokenness. I'm talking to your struggle. Jesus came into the world to meet broken, undeserving people longing for something to happen. And he said, I am the one who can bring you rest, bring you life, heal your brokenness draw you into a relationship with your maker and put right what the fall 
and the garden went wrong. And so we just have a glorious privilege and a glorious invitation laid out for us here. So I want us to look at it. The first thing we see is we're invited to come and see. Because coming and seeing is where discipleship begins and where witnessing begins to happen. Look at it in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. And those words should just be like echoing, right? Follow me. Now, this is the first time in this gospel where we get a summons by King Jesus just directly like a laser. Boom, follow me. And Philip is just struck to the heart. His eyes are wide. His ears are open. His heart's being drawn in by the Savior. You got you to imagine Jesus just looking at you and saying, follow me. Yeah, but I'm busy. I've got all sorts of stuff. No, no, no. Follow me. Yeah, but I don't want to be on the wrong side of history. I'm the Lord of history. Yeah, but I'm a little bit scared of what it would mean to commit my whole life and just follow you. I can do a little bit of like, let's just sprinkle this over some meals and like sprinkle this one day out of the week and, 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 and like the rest of the six days. There's no difference between me and the world. And Jesus is like, no, I'm calling you to follow me with your whole life. I'm calling you to surrender all to me. And there's a deliberate calling going on here. Jesus, verse 43, decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and he said, follow me. And Philip turns around and says, hey, we found the one that Moses and the law and the prophets wrote of. Philip thinks he found Jesus. No, no, no. Jesus found him. Jesus called him. If you're a Christian today and you're born again, it's because Jesus found you. It's because Jesus opened your eyes. It's because Jesus called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Jesus said to all his disciples, you didn't choose me. I choose you. I chose you. Many are called, but few are chosen. So there's a sense in which this this calling is just reordering Philip's whole life. It's a, it's a transformative call. And it's a call to discipleship. To a following after Jesus with our whole life. I just want us to think about like, what this means today to you and I. What does it look like if a life is completely turned over to Christ? What does it look like in our schedules? What does it look like in our entertainment choices? What does it look like in the way we carry out our relationships in family and in friends? And, 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 and when Jesus is Lord, how does that shape things? Because discipleship from the get-go is powerful, effectual, and it's moving towards sharing Jesus with others, right? Right? 
That's the first thing we see. Philip doesn't even like hardly get a word in before he's sharing Jesus with somebody else, right? Just like, follow me. Oh, <laughs> we found him. <laughs> we got him. All right. G King Jesus. All right, Philip. I, I, listen, I'm going. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to talk to Nathaniel. Who else, who else can I talk to? You know, Peter, Andrew, let's get, let's get this thing going and let's start spreading the word that we found him. And there's this impulse to share Jesus with everybody close to you. And I love that. I love that because the reality is this isn't just a good idea to try to live a better life. It's a life preserver coming into a drowning person and saying, I will rescue you. It's life coming into a dead heart and saying, I'll make you alive. It's forgiveness entering a sin-battered life and saying, I can restore you. It doesn't matter how messed up you have been. The disciples were a motley crew. You had Religious zealots, you had terrorists like Paul, you had all sorts of people, murderers, thieves, liars. Jesus gets a hold of them because he brings life. His call takes the straying sheep and draws them in. And it's powerful. Look at verse 44. This, this evidence of a transformed life begins to unfold. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael, and he said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And then Nathanael says to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So let's just, let's just like be real from the start. You'll get questions, right? You're going to get questions when you share Jesus with other people. But you don't have to be a scholar or a theologian or a 10-year veteran of evangelism, evangelism, giving courses and stuff like that to say what Philip did. He's just a fresh convert saying, come and see for yourself. Beloved, if we believe the gospel, if we believe it truly, and we actually believe Jesus is the answer to our greatest problem and our greatest needs and the deep reality and the gravity of being under the wrath of God with our minds darkened by sin, dead in our sins, on our way to hell, and Jesus comes in and says, I am can save you. I know you're lost. I know you're without hope. I know you're beat up and discouraged. I know you've been going into sin thinking it's going to satisfy. I know you've been pursuing relationships you shouldn't. I know you've been doing things that you should never be doing. And deep down, every one of us feels lost and fractured. And Jesus says, I can set you right. If we believe that, we ought to say, come and see to everybody we know. Everybody we know. No exception. No excuses. 
just, we love you enough to tell you. And I'm not saying going around, you know, beating people over the head and, and nobody wants to be a spiritual jerk. But if you give spiritual life and encouragement to somebody by pointing them to Jesus, there's no greater thrill in all of life except getting saved than watching somebody get saved because you said, come and see. And it's all over the place, right? It starts with John the Baptist, verse 35. He's standing there with two of his disciples. He looks at Jesus and he says, behold, the Lamb of God. Boom, you got your first sermon there from John the Baptist. Well, guess what? He said it in our passage last week in verse 29. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I've already shared the gospel with them. I've already told them about Jesus. John just kept sharing the same message, right? They might not believe the first time. They might not believe the second time or the hundredth time. But when Jesus begins to move on their hearts, who knows how God might use your words down the course of their life. There are things my grandma said to me when I was just, uh, just a horrendous, atheistic hater of God that resonated with me later when God was bringing me to himself at 21 years old. Talk about a Mother's Day warrior going to bat in prayer telling people about Jesus. My grandma had a prayer meeting going on like, let's labor before the throne of grace. This kid is messed up, but we're going to come to Jesus on his behalf. And boom, God begins to move. That's the spirit going on in this text. You see it all over the place. John reaches out to his two disciples. They start walking with Jesus. Andrew, first thing he does is take the message to his brother Peter. Could you imagine if there was no Peter in the church? If there was no Peter to preach the gospel at Pentecost? If there's no Peter, the pillar of the church, preaching the word? If Andrew doesn't tell Peter about Jesus... There is no Peter in the church. Who knows what God might do through you if you are willing to say, come and see. Yeah, but family members, it's just difficult with family. When, when I do the family thing, it just never goes well. That was his family. It's like, those are the closest to you. Those are the ones people, like God put in, in, in your sphere of influence to tell them, come and see. And don't ever feel like you're being a broken record because John the Baptist wasn't afraid to be a broken record. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. Oh, it's about four o'clock. Behold the Lamb of God, right? He's, he's just going to bring that message and the Spirit will do the work. Philip, Philip seems to have missed this whole class that sometimes the American church can get, right? This, this lazy, apathetic, do-nothing-with-your-Christianity class that, 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 that doesn't do anything with Jesus or take, them into the, take him into the world, but just privatize. We're just going to talk. It's just me and Jesus, nothing else, and I'll come to church on Sunday. That was not a class Philip received from the Lord Jesus, but he went out and shared with Nathaniel. And oh that, the, oh, that the church in America, that the church of Jesus Christ in America would wake up to the mission of God and watch the fires get lit as the gospel just breaks down darkness in people's lives. 
It's awesome. I want to have like hundreds of Leslie testimonies going on in here where we're talking about how Jesus is doing work in people's hearts to liberate them from darkness. But it means that we're, we're moved by God to say, come and see. And like Philip, that's the first thing I want to do. Nate, he goes to Nathaniel. Nate, listen, the search has ended. It's over, man. We found the Messiah. Let's get going. But Nazareth is nasty. Come and see. I love it. Who in here can't say, come and see Jesus? Come check it out. Come check out what's going on at church. Come check out what's going on at a prayer meeting. Come check it out for yourself and see what the Spirit does when the people gather and proclaim Christ. I love that. Could you imagine the church in Acts saying, you know what? It's not my place to tell other people about what they should believe. It's not my place to disrupt civil stuff going on. I don't want to cause waves. They just blitz the city for the gospel, come what may. Full of love, full of compassion. Both those things can happen together, right? You can be filled with love and filled with holy boldness to share Jesus with people. If you don't have love, then you shouldn't talk. But if you have love without speaking, you're not loving them well because you're not telling them the most important thing they need to hear. Amen? Come and see. Second thing we see is that come and see points us to the one that the whole Bible's about. It points us to the one the whole Bible's about. Look at verse 45 again. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote of, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. All of John's gospel up, in this, up to this point has been showing us in different ways who Jesus is. Verse 1 in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What verse is that talking about in the Old Testament? The first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Word was in the beginning creating everything. Jesus is the light of the world. All through Isaiah, you have pictures of, G of, of the Christ being the light to the Gentiles and a light of salvation to all the earth. Right? Behold the Lamb of God. Exodus, Passover, Lamb of God, blood on the doorpost, judgment passes over, the people of God rescued and delivered. That's who Jesus is. This is the one Moses has been writing about all along. When we were kids and we used to read Moses, when we went into the synagogue, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about this guy from Nazareth. Their minds were blown. Like it's finally happened. Has your Christianity went to sleep? 
And you have forgotten how amazing and glorious King Jesus is and what he can do in your life when you just live for him? When you just remember that all the scriptures were pointing to him? That everything the Bible says is a fulfillment in Jesus Christ. All the Old Testament scriptures have their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And he's here. And of the least of the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. We remember last week, right? So if you got the Holy Spirit up in you. And you've got Jesus swirling around in your heart and mind. And you really come awake to what that means. Flip the world upside down. With living for Christ. There are so many people that can be touched through every one of us sitting in these seats. There's so many people who need to hear. There's so many people broken who need rescue. And perhaps there's some even in here today who just, they're sensing like, is there something real to this thing? Yeah, I flipped the world upside down. King Jesus came. He's the lamb He's the son of God. He's the great prophet that was spoken of in the Old Testament that Moses said, hey, a prophet's going to come like me. Listen to him. But he's going to be the prophet. He's going to be the voice talking for God. The Lord shall raise up. The Lord your God shall raise up for you a prophet like me among you. And from your brothers. And let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Or see this great fire anymore lest I die. They said. And the Lord said to me. They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak to them all that I have commanded him. Deuteronomy 8. God puts his words in Jesus' mouth and he speaks to us today and says, come and see. It's a message to the disciples. Come, drink up this word of God. Drink up this book that discloses Jesus to us. Drink up the words of Christ and watch it transform your life. And then come and see the one who truly knows us. I was thinking about this point this morning. Come see the one who truly knows us. Deep down, we all want to be known and understood and loved and cared for. Is that not what mothers are such an emblem of? Our mom knew us. Our mom loves us. It's an unconditional kind of love. But with Jesus... He loves you so much more and he loves you and he knows you and he knows all the dirt and he knows all the grime and he knows all the mess. Look at it in verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? 
And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Whew, I love it. Before Philip called you, I saw you. Now notice, Jesus knows everything about Nathaniel. How does he know he's without deceit? How does he know he's without guile? How does he know he's a stand-up guy? He's never even seen him before. Or has he? This is God peering into our hearts. He knows us through and through. And he knew who Nathaniel was before ever looking at him with physical eyes. Jesus is like, finally an Israelite in whom there's no guile. And that would bring you back to Jacob, right? We read it earlier in, in the account of Jacob's ladder. Now, Jacob was known for being a stand-up guy, right? Never lied. No. Jacob starts out grabbing his brother's heel in the womb. Jacob starts out stealing his brother's birthright. Jacob starts out stealing a blessing. Dressing up like his brother in disguise. He's a deceit. His name means deceiver. Finally, Jesus says, finally an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. Of course, Jacob's story changes. We're going to get to that in a minute. But we see here that there's a kind of knowledge that Jesus has about all human beings. He knows your heart. And he knows where you've been and what you've done and what you're about. And he knows what's going on deep inside. And he sees you and he cares. And more than that, if it makes you tremble to know that Jesus knows everything about you, whether you're young or old, whether you're a mom or a dad, whether you're a child or a parent, he knows you through and through. And if it strikes terror into your heart, I just want to encourage you, like, he knows that about you, and he runs toward you with hope and rescue, because he's the one who said, I'm the one who came to seek and save that which is lost. And is that not what Romans 5, 8 says? But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. In your mess. And he knows you. Okay, back to Nathaniel. How do you know me? Well, I saw you under the fig tree. I saw you studying God's word under the fig tree. That's what Israelites would often do under fig trees. They would sit and read God's word. How did you see me over, clear across town when you couldn't even see me? Oh, like, he's just like, he doesn't need any more evidence than that. Like, okay, I get it. Nathaniel's like, Philip, I came and I saw. All right? Can anything good out, come out of Nazareth? Uh, yes. Jesus came out of Nazareth. And listen to what Nathaniel says. He answers Jesus and he says, Rabbi... You are the son of God, right? You are the king of Israel. And Nathanael begins to grasp who Jesus is. And this is only deepened as time goes on through the gospels. The disciples get it, but they don't get it. They get it and they start following, 
But it takes them all through the gospel to plumb the depths of really what it means that Jesus is the king of the Jews and he's the son of God, God in the flesh. How many times does Jesus have to remind them who he is? They're in the boat and the storm's rocking everything and we're about to capsize. We're going to perish Jesus and he's asleep in the boat. And Jesus gets up and says, be quiet to the storm. And everybody trembles as the storm calms and says, who might this be? That even the winds and the waves obey him. Who might it be? Well, Nathaniel, you, you, were, you were on the right track. He's the son of God and he's the king of Israel. And Jesus said to him, because I said this to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. You ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. One chapter later. Nathaniel's going to get a visit to his hometown. And Jeter's, uh, Jesus, I don't know who Jeter is, but Jesus is going to take water, jugs of water, and he just changes them into wine and serves it to everybody at the wedding. And it's the first sign in the book that all the disciples see and go, something different is going on. And it points us. In fact, I'll just have you read verse 11 of chapter 2. Just so we can drive this home. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. And he manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Water to wine. And the disciples begin to believe. So where are you at today in your trust in Jesus? In your faith in Jesus? Is it floundering? Is it... Are, are you feeling like, man, I just need a Holy Spirit injection of like, this is who Jesus is to wake me up. So Christianity begins to get real up in here and in my life. The scariest place for the church of Jesus Christ to be is asleep. In a world as dark as ours. At any time in history, it was dark in the first century. Sometimes we, we look at this century and we're like, it's just terrible. And it is. But do you know what went on in the first century? The kind of slavery and sex trafficking and darkness and de demonism and idolatry and all every kind of vile thing under the sun. And the church just declared this simple message. Jesus Christ is the son of God. He's the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's come into the world and he went to a cross and he died for sinners and he rose up out of the grave to give life to anybody who believes. And you better believe it. If you put your trust in him, you will be saved. Come and see just what it means to know who Jesus is. And we're going to land on this last verse. And I just want to send you out with it on Mother's Day. Verse 51. And Jesus said to him, truly, truly, 
I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And you get this staggering picture of Jesus. And you remember we read Jacob, the deceiver, got a vision. He was sleeping on a rock. All right. Be thankful you've got pillows today. He was sleeping on a rock. And God gave him a vision in a dream of a ladder coming down and angels of God ascending and descending. And what does Jesus do? But right here in verse 51, he says, truly, truly. And this is the first time we see that that phrase, truly, truly. It means it's emphatic, like Jesus wants you to pay attention. Dial it in right now and think about what he's saying. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And what's he saying to Nathaniel? You want to know who I am? I'm the stairway to heaven. You want to know who I am? I'm the new Bethel. I'm the, I'm the house of God that's come down. I'm the one who came. I'm the word that was made flesh and dwelt. And that's the word for tabernacle. I tabernacled among you. God is in your midst. Heaven came down, touched earth so that you could meet with God and be rescued from your sins. You want a stairway to heaven? You come to me. You want to know how to be rescued? You want to know how to take a deceiver like Jacob, a vile man who, who was cheating his way through life? And God still had grace towards him and said, Jacob, I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you the stairway to heaven. I'm going to show you that I'm going to come down and I'm going to meet with you and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to be with you and I'm never going to forsake you and never let you down. And I'm going to renew my promises that I made to Abraham and to Isaac. And you better believe that I will accomplish a work in you. And then Jacob within one chapter becomes Israel, a new man who follows God all his days. And because of this moment in history, the Messiah would come and he would be the new way to God. He would be the new Bethel. He'd be the new place where you'd be like, surely God is in this place. That's what I say every time I come to church. Like God is in this place. Not that he's not everywhere else. He's, omnis he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. But he's up in here. When we, when we gather, when we worship when the people of God gather and we're all filled with the spirit of Christ and Jesus is reigning and presiding over this meeting. God's just drawing us in saying, come and see, come see the stairway to heaven. Come see what I can do. Come see how I can break through in your life. And it's powerful. It's effectual. It's life giving. And you step foot on this journey and you come and see who Jesus is. And if you're, in Christ, wake up afresh to what it means to follow Jesus like Philip and Nathaniel and Andrew and Peter. It was a journey and it was glorious because they, they saw Jesus, they saw in Jesus something they saw nowhere else. God in the flesh, the way to heaven, but heaven coming down and meeting them in their true need. So mothers, on Mother's Day, maybe 
You just need a word to continue to press in and share the gospel. Like John the Baptist, behold your God, behold your God. Keep sharing with your children. Grandmothers, keep sharing this news. Keep telling them about the stairway to heaven. Keep telling them about the way to God. Keep telling them about how they can meet Jesus. Don't ever give up. How many times is too much? As long as you're breathing. <laughs> Second word to mothers. There's going to be little hope to persevere in the task entrusted to you by God as a mom, as a grandmother, as an aspiring mother, as a spiritual mother, if you don't wholly commit your life to Jesus yourself. You can't give what you don't have yourself. You can't disciple if you're not a disciple. And if you're not a committed disciple, it's going to be a limping along. So take a cue from Philip and Nathaniel and get on the staircase. Start looking to Jesus and just like, I just want to spend my time studying the scriptures. Maybe I need to get under a fig tree for a minute just to remind myself just who I'm dealing with. Maybe you're in here today. You never took the stairway to heaven. You've never trusted Jesus. You've never really dealt with the need in your heart. You know you're broken. You know you're far from God. And Jesus is saying, come to me and trust me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. All who come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, all who are broken and beat up, all who are trapped in their sins, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus just loves you and he adores you. And he's longing for you to come to him and trust him afresh. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this Mother's Day. We need this word. We need this truth. And I pray, Father, right now that you would embolden us to go out and live for Jesus in this world, that we would be bold ambassadors taking the name of Jesus to the lost, that we would be just in awe of the fact that Jesus knows us and he still loves us and he died for us and he wants to rescue anybody who draws near to him. So, Father, I pray you'd work in our hearts, strengthen us and send us out. Mobilize your people for your glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.